Jared is the best devil we've ever had at this church, I'm telling you right now. <clears throat> well, we're going to continue our series today, and uh, it's the last sermon on uh, Hail the Forgotten Truth, but before we get into it, I want to thank everybody who worked out at the new bridge yesterday, our new location in Goldsboro is coming along, coming along, coming along beautifully. And uh, you heard on the announcements this morning, we're going to write God's Word all over the floor before we put the carpet down and the hardwood flooring. And so uh, mark that date. I believe that's April 19th. And right after lunch on that Sunday, just going out to the new bridge and, and bring your family and bring the kids and, and let's cover that floor in the Word of God. Uh, I want to thank everybody who's been working there. Servolution was yesterday at Stony Creek Park, and we had a team who went out and uh, passed out water for free and um, had a very successful day serving others. And uh, Miss Millie, my wife, was cracking the whip yesterday and had some folks out here sprucing up Whitley Church, getting ready for Easter. And we got a lot of company coming beginning Thursday. And so Millie did a, 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 got her team together, and they just did a great job. I want to mention a couple things very carefully and very clearly, and that is that adult classes this Wednesday night are canceled, but all youth classes, including student uh, ministries classes and counter-student ministries, will go on as scheduled. The Cross and the Crown begins Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning. And we wanted to just give you a little Easter schedule weekend uh, uh, so you'll know what's going to be happening on Easter weekend. The bridge will be having both their services on Saturday night, even though we'll be having uh, the cross and the crown here. And uh, also next Sunday, <clears throat> excuse me, even though we'll be doing the cross and the crown in the second service, I will be preaching in the first service. So if uh, you come out to uh, see the cross and the crown you know, at some of the other services, still come on Easter Sunday and be here for the early service. Uh, we would uh, really love to have you, okay? Um, you know, we got a lot of new people here at Whitley, and, um, and uh, I'm, I'm really concerned that some of them have come since I've had this beard. And this beard is for the Easter drama. So I, I want to make sure that you guys are able to recognize me after the Easter drama when I cut this beard off. So I wanted to put a picture up and show you what I look like without the beard. That's <laughs> <clears throat> so I want you to be able to tell what I look like. And uh, then I've got, a, uh, I've got the thing about Pastor Andy too, and I want you to be able to tell what he looks like when his beard is off. So that's <laughs> Pastor Andy. So, so that's just for our new people because we want you to uh, be able to tell who we are. Uh, ain't church fun. <laughs> this is the final message in our series, uh, Hail the Forgotten Truth. In too many churches today, the missing message is often the truth concerning hell. As a church and a society, we're reaping the consequences of failing to bring this message. The reason we have so much hell in the world is because so little of it is being talked about, preached on, talked about, and taught from the pulpits of America. As we've stated in our series, this message is primarily directed toward believers. You would think that it would be directed toward unbelievers, and, and it is. And if you're here today and, and you don't know the Lord and you haven't received him as your Savior, then we hope you will do that in this service. We had several people last night at the bridge to raise their hand that they accepted Christ, and so we're very excited about that. And we've had several people here during this series to raise their hand that they've accepted Christ. 
And certainly we praise God for that, and that's very, very, very important uh, that we do that and give the opportunity for people to come to know the Lord here at church. But God's primary way for people to come to know the Lord is that you go from here and tell it, that you leave this campus and you share it with people at work and you share this gospel good news message with people at school and with people um, in your social life and as you're going about. As a matter of fact, uh, the King James Version reads, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Uh, if you go back and study the original Greek language there, it actually means as you go into the world. So as you are going out into the world every day, you are always an ambassador of Christ. If you have Jesus in your heart, then you are his representative. And be ready. Be ready to share. Be ready to talk about. Be ready to give your testimony about what Jesus has done for you. One of the classes we offer here at Whitley Church is called uh, 401, Discovering your mission, and we teach you in that class how to share your personal testimony. Every single one of you have a personal testimony about what Christ has done for you, and the Lord wants you to develop that and to share it, to be ready to share his word. Uh, we've talked about the things that motivate us to share the word of God and share the good news of Jesus, and one of those things is the love in our heart. When we receive Christ, we also received his love. And the closer you are to Christ and, and the more mature you are in your relationship with Jesus, the more you see people the way he sees people, the more you view people the way Christ views people. On one occasion, Jesus looked out over the city of Jerusalem and tears ran down his face. And he wept, the Bible says, because he saw the people as sheep having no shepherd. And so we want to pray that Jesus will give us his perspective of the world, that Jesus will give us his perspective of those who do not know Christ, and that the same love of Jesus that compelled him to forgive us, that that same love will compel us to share the gospel so that others might be forgiven. But the Bible says there is another reason why we share about Christ and why we tell people about the good news of Jesus, and it is because we understand the terror of the Lord. So let's look at that verse in 2 Corinthians 5, 11. It says, knowing the terror of the Lord, when we know it, when we understand this topic of hell, when we take a close look at it, and we've taken a pretty close look at it, but I want to tell you really that there is much, much uh, more that could be said about this uh, difficult topic of hell. There is a lot more that could be taught and a lot more that could be said, and I have really just, um, you know, given you surface things. There, there are uh, many deep things, much deeper uh, Bible study that could be done on this, but I wanted to just remind you that this place exists and it is real and we need to know that because the Bible says that when we understand this, we persuade men. We are motivated, we are stirred to share Jesus Christ with others. Hell is not a very popular subject and because of that, people don't like the idea of a literal hell. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Proverbs 28 and 5, that evil men, that means men who just do not receive 
God's word is truth, uh, that they do not understand judgment. So when they hear teaching on hell or they read about it or they um, um, open their Bibles and they read those verses that are there, they, um, they reject that. They don't want to deal with that. So they come up with their own doctrines. They come up with their own theologies, such as annihilation. We talked about that. And uh, universalism, we talked about that as well. And um, found that this is the way uh, men in the world deal with this difficult subject so they can push it out of their mind and don't have to think about it. I also told you that, that God loves you so much that he has given you uh, the opportunity uh, to treat this message really any way you want to. Uh, you can reject this message that I'm preaching. Uh, nobody's going to force this message on you. It isn't my job to, to force you or try to force you to believe uh, what I'm talking about. It is my job to simply bring the message. You and God get together and decide what you'll do with the message. You can reject it, you can ignore it, or you can believe it and allow the truth of this message to change your life. I do want to point out uh, this morning before we get into the message that, that when I talk about eternity and when I talk about death, it could be uh, nearer than you think it is. It could be uh, closer uh, in your future than you think it is. And I'm not trying to scare you when I say that. I'm just trying to um, really magnify a verse that is in the Bible in 1 Samuel 20 and 3. It says, there is but a step between me and death. There is but a step between me and death. Um, I, could, I could leave this world today. Uh, you all know, all you have to do is pick up your newspaper. Uh, death is no respecter of person. Death is no respecter of person. We had a precious couple in our church this week uh, who gave uh, birth to a beautiful little boy, and he uh, did not live but just a little while. And so uh, we lift up that family. We lift them up, and we pray for them. Um, uh, we have families in our church who, uh, ha who um, have lost little children. Death is no respecter of person. We read in the paper where teenagers... Uh, are out and about on the weekend and they're driving too fast or they're drinking and driving and, and they lose their lives. I'm telling you that you don't know um, when uh, death will come and there is but a step between you and death. The only thing between some people uh, and heaven and hell is one heartbeat, just one heartbeat. So what is hell like? Uh, what is it like? We looked at it uh, uh, for a couple of weeks now, and we found out that, first of all, that hell is a place of vile associations. And we talked about who's going to be there in hell, and uh, we talked about the fact that the, the most evil, heinous, uh, perverted, um, corrupt people who have ever lived and ever will live will be there. We talked about how Satan will eventually be there, Satan himself. And uh, I, I don't know exactly what that was on Jared's head, but I'm almost positive the devil doesn't look like that. But um, he will be there. Uh, the demons that torment us and, and uh, uh, ha have uh, received their assignments from Satan and go forth into the world uh, to and fro, as the devil said a while ago, seeking whom they may devour, they will all be there. 
So we talked about the company you're going to have in hell. And then number two, we talked about the fact that hell is going to be an awful place not because of who is there, not only because of who is there, but because of who is not going to be there. Uh, hell is a place of separation from the godly. It is a place of separation from all that is pure and all that is holy and all that is good and all that is righteous. And uh, we talked about that and then we studied the fact that hell is a place of eternal darkness or outer darkness. And uh, I told you all last week that I wasn't really sure what that meant, you know, outer darkness, eternal darkness. And I told you last week that uh, I wasn't sure how there could be fire in hell, but also darkness. And uh, someone called me up. Pastor Jimmy's wife was telling me that she had heard a teaching recently about fire and that the hottest flame is, is black. It is a black flame. And I, I'm going to do some research about that. That makes a lot of sense if you're, if you're uh, talking about uh, fire and, and there's no illumination. And so I don't know if that's the answer or not, but I thought that was interesting. Uh, the fourth thing that we want to talk about this morning, and I'm going to give you three characteristics of hell, three more characteristics of hell today. So let's get ready to take these notes. Number four, hell is a place of eternal death. It is a place of eternal death. And can I tell you all, I am so glad this is the last sermon in this series. And I, I love you, and I thank you for coming up to me and saying, Pastor, we're with you, and we know this is hard, and, and we know that it's been difficult bringing this message, but we thank you for bringing it, and we know we need to hear this. And y'all have been such an encouragement to me, and I thank you so much for that. But it has been hard. Uh, it has been very hard. It's hard for me to talk about it this morning, I'm telling you. And I know you can sense uh, the difficulty. I, I don't even like to think about it. But if I'm going to be a good pastor, and I'm going to be a pastor who loves his congregation, then I'm going to preach the whole Bible. And I'm going to tell you all of the truth, and this is part of it. Well, <clears throat> when we say eternal death, we have to recognize that in hell, there is something called the second death. The second death. Now, what does that mean when we say second death? What is a second death? What is eternal death? Well, there are two deaths that a person can die. There are two deaths that a person can die. One of them is a physical death, and it is instant. One is a physical death, and it is instant. The other one is a second death, which is a spiritual death, and it is eternal. It never ends. Your physical death is instant. Your spiritual death will never, ever end. Remember this. Death in the Bible never means annihilation. Death in the Bible never means annihilation. It only means separation. Separation. Here's, here's the point I want to make. I want you to listen very carefully to this. Every person sitting in this room is going to live on after they die. Every person sitting in this room is going to live on after they die in one of two places. You're going to live on eternally in one of two places. The second death refers to someone who has died a physical death and is now eternally separated from God in this place Jesus called hell. You know, I could die a physical death right now. I had a friend 
uh, in Smithfield who was preaching on a Sunday morning. And uh, right at the end of his sermon, he had brought his message and he was finished with his message. And y'all may remember this. It happened about three or four years ago. And uh, in the pulpit, he died. He died right there. And I could die right here today, standing here. And y'all may walk up here and go, you know, he was a decent preacher. But he's, he's gone. And, and there may be doctors here today. I know we have some doctors who come to our church and they're nurses. And they may run up here, you know, and do all that stuff they do. But God might have decided it would be time for me to go as it was my friend that day. And, and you would say, well, you know, he's gone. But you see, I really wouldn't be dead. I really wouldn't be dead. I, I like what Dr. Vance Havner, he's an old Baptist preacher who's dead and gone, and, and he's in heaven now. He said, but the day I die, he said, don't feel sorry for me. I'll be kicking up gold dust on the streets of glory. Isn't that good? And that's where he is. And I don't know that you kick up gold dust on the streets of glory, but I thought that was a pretty cool idea, you know, to think you could do that. My point is that I would have simply moved out of a temporary earth suit into a spiritual body. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 and 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So physical death, and the Bible is never annihilation, physical death is always separation. It is separation of my soul, which is my mind, and my body. Uh, it, it is a, a separation of my soul and my spirit from my body. Now let me, let me do a quick teaching right here. The Bible says that we're made in the image of God, doesn't it? Well, that doesn't mean we look like God, and I'm sure God's really happy about that because I've seen some of y'all up close. And uh, so, so when it says we, when it says we are made in the image of God, it doesn't mean we look like God. Here's what it means: God is a Trinity. What is He? We are also Trinity. We are body mind or soul, and that is where our will is. That is where we make decisions. That is where our emotions are. So we have the body, we have the mind, but then we have a third part of us that is called the spirit. And the spirit is the seat of God. You ever heard me talk about that little throne that's inside of you? Well, that throne belongs to Jesus. Now, you may have drugs on that throne or alcohol or sex or, or pornography or, or, or you may have uh, money on that throne or ambition on that throne. I'm just telling you, he allows you because he loves you and gives you choice. He allows you to put on the, that throne whoever you want to. But you will never be fulfilled. You will never be fruitful until you put Jesus on that throne because that throne is his throne. It belongs to him. So, so when we die, this earth suit, this body is discarded, but the soul, the mind, the will, the emotion, and the spirit part of us lives on. So there is a consciousness, a very powerful consciousness that lives on after we're dead. The second death that the book of Revelation talks about is the separation of your soul and your spirit from God 
for eternity. Now, I want you to understand that starting Thursday night, we're going to have the cross and the crown here, and you're going to see the life of Jesus. Actually, we're going to begin in the Old Testament with Abraham and Isaac, and you're going to see um, um, from the birth of Jesus all the way to the resurrection of Jesus. And, and there are even parts in this drama that are going to be surprising to you that maybe you did not know about the Bible, so we hope you will come and, and see it. But, but as you watch this, you're going to see Jesus hanging on the cross, and you're going to see the blood, and you're going to see the suffering. And many of you saw the passion of the Christ. And you remember how hard, I don't know about you all, but it was hard for me to watch that movie. That, that was not an easy movie to watch, and I'm just be real honest with you. I watched it one time, and I've never looked at it since then. And I, I probably need to. As a matter of fact, it would probably be a good idea during the Easter season to pull that movie out and watch that movie again and be reminded of the price Jesus paid for my sin and for your sin. But when you see, if you come to the cross of the crown and you see Jesus hoisted up on that cross, I want you to think about right there that Jesus suffered on the cross this second death we're talking about because this second death is separation from God. And in the book of Matthew chapter 27 and verse 46, Jesus on the cross cried out, My God, my God, why have you separated yourself from me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Listen, when Jesus died on the cross, he took your hell. Jesus suffered your hell on the cross when he was forsaken of God, his Father. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, listen to these words. And this is good news if you are a Christian, and it is bad news if you are not a Christian, and you have no plans to become a Christian. Now listen, some of you here might not have made that decision yet, but you're right on the edge. People have been talking to you, and you've been hearing songs, and, and you've tried to push it over, and God just keeps going, hello. I'm here. I love you. Amen, amen. Y'all remember those days before you came to Jesus, he just wouldn't leave you alone? You know what the Bible calls uh, God? The Bible calls God, and this isn't disrespectful, the Bible calls him a hound. He calls him a hound. I believe it's in the book of Proverbs or Psalms. He calls him a hound. And, and, and boy, when you put a bloodhound on the trail, have, do you remember those days when you felt like Jesus was right on your trail? Right behind you? You were trying to get away from him and, and trying to get away from church and trying to get away from the Bible and trying to get away from anything that had to do with God. And he was like, right behind you, everywhere you went. You know what I say to that? Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you didn't give up on me. The hound of heaven. Heard a great black preacher do a sermon entitled, The Hound of Heaven. Thank God that, that he got on my trail. And there's some of you sitting here right here this morning. He's on your trail. And you know what I say to God? Sick them. <laughs> Sick them, Jesus. Amen, amen. Amen, amen. You say, well, it's a miserable feeling. I dig it, brother. I've been right there. I dig it. But boy, when you let him catch you, it's the most awesome feeling you ever had in your life. You ever wonder what a dog's going to do when he's chasing a car? You ever seen a dog chasing a car and that car stops and that dog goes, whoa. 
Now what? Well, let me tell you something. This hound of heaven knows what to do when you stop. He will wrap you in his love and forgive all your sins and give you a home in heaven and a hope you didn't have. Oh, man. We sang at the bridge last night. He is uh, peaceful and restless and hopeful the hopeless. And, and he'll forgive everything you've ever done. And in his mind, it'll be like you never did it. There's no southern gospel song we used to sing a long time ago called, What Sins Are You Talking About? Y'all remember that old song? You come up to Jesus and go, hey, Jesus, you remember that thing I did? And Jesus goes, no, I really don't. Because, see, when he forgives you, he throws your sins as far as the east is from the west. And he throws them into the sea of forgetfulness. And he will never bring them back before you again. Now, your friends may bring them back up, and your family surely will bring them back up. And no doubt your wife will bring them back up. But Jesus never will. I heard about this couple that went to see a marriage counselor, and uh, the uh, marriage counselor asked the man, what, what did he see as the problem? And he said, she gets, she gets historical on me. He said, you mean hysterical? He said, no, historical. And she keeps going back into history and dragging it all back up. <laughs> Listen to this, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9. And God will provide rest for you. Anybody need any rest? How many of y'all worked in the yard yesterday? I saw y'all coming in this morning. <laughs> I need some rest. And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted. And also for us, when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven, he will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire bringing judgment on those who do not know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction. Here it is, here it is, here it is. Forever separated from the Lord and his glorious power. That's the second death. Shut away from God for all eternity. In hell, you will finally desire to pray. But your prayers will not be heard, much less answered. In hell, you will finally say, God, I want fellowship with you. But God will not hear your cry. Now, I thank God for the modern ways we do church. And I thank God for the new methods. But I like to look back at what those old preachers said. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, If you leave this world without Jesus Christ in your heart, you will walk the burning corridors of the damned alone, separated from God forever. The fifth thing about hell that I want you to know is that hell is a place of utter hopelessness. I want you to understand something this morning. Hell is a place of endless despair. See, if you've got the idea that you could end up in hell, but maybe just spend a few thousand years there and then you get out. You know, you, you know how awful it is and how terrible it is and how long a few thousand years is, but you have in your mind, I'm going to get out one day. You see, not only are you there in all of that torment, but there is no hope of ever Getting out. You think somehow there would be some hope 
that you would be wrong. Revelation 14, 10, and 11 says, it speaks of those who refuse Christ as Savior. It says, they must drink the wine of God's wrath. It is poured out undiluted into God's cup of wrath. And they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. The smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. And they will have no relief day or night. Now if you're going to get upset, if you're going to get angry, you must become angry with Jesus. For these are his words, not mine. There are those who will come and knock on your door. And they will say to you, can I come in and share our literature from our church with you? And they will come in and tell you there is no hell. And they'll tell you there's no such place as hell. But they would be wrong because God's word is clear. Someone once said that hopeless is the, most, is the saddest word in the English language. You can go to a banker and hear hopeless. You can go to a doctor and hear hopeless. You can go even to a prison warden and hear hopeless. That's one thing, but to hear God say hopeless is another thing. Hopeless. Look what the Bible says in Proverbs eleven seven. When a wicked man dies, his expectation will perish. And the hope of the unjust perishes. When you die without Christ, hope dies with you. You can, you can be given hope now. You, you can be given hope this morning. You see, the opportunity is now. In hell, there are no more opportunities. There is no hope available to you. But there is this morning. But there is in this service. Look what it says in Hebrews 9, 27. No repentance after death. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after that death, what? The judgment. I know there are people who say, well, I, I kind of believe in a purgatory. Well, you know, you can believe in anything. You, as a matter of fact, you can make up your own deal. But the fact is, the word of God is clear. The final thing I want you to notice about hell is that hell is a place of everlasting fire. And I saved this one for last, not because I relish saying it at all, but because so many times when people want to ridicule hell, this is what they ridicule. This is what they mock, is the fire. Is there really fire in hell? To get that answer, listen not to Pharaoh Hardison. Don't listen to me. Matter of fact, don't ever take anything I say and say because Pharaoh said it and I love him and respect him, I'm going to believe whatever Pharaoh Hardison says. Don't you dare do that. I'm a man. I could tell you something wrong. Look into the Word of God. The Bible says in Revelation 20 and 10, there is hell. There is fire in hell. In Revelation 20:14, it says there is fire in hell. In Revelation 21:8, it says there is fire in hell. And in Matthew 25:41, it says there is fire in hell. What did Jesus mean when he said this? When he said in Matthew 5.30, listen to this. Jesus said, and if your right hand should be your downfall, cut it off and throw it away. For it will do you less harm to lose one part of yourself than to have your whole body go to hell. 
Now, Jesus didn't mean that if you cut your hand off, you get to go to heaven. So, preacher, what did Jesus mean here when he said that? Here's what Jesus was saying. I want you to listen to this because this is powerful. Here's what Jesus was saying right there. He was saying, whatever price you have to pay, make sure you miss hell. Whatever you have to do, listen to me. Whatever friends you have to give up, whatever social life you have to give up, whatever habit you have to give up, Jesus said, whatever it is that would take you to hell, cut that off. Don't go to hell, Jesus said, no matter what it costs you. Don't go to hell. Jesus said to us in this verse, he said it would, better to be, it would be better to be a maimed saint on your way to heaven than a healthy sinner on your way to hell. He said it would be better to be a crippled saint than a healthy sinner. Jesus told us in Matthew 5 and 30, A clear warning, whatever you have to cut off, whatever you have to get out of your life that is dragging you away from receiving me as your Savior, cut that thing off and come to me because for sure you do not want to go to hell. Now I want you to listen to me very carefully as I conclude. Your family does not want you to go to hell. Your pastor stands in this pulpit this morning and I beg you not to go to hell. Your church doesn't want you to go to hell. I heard about two men in a restaurant and one of them got angry and looked at the other man who he was eating with and shouted out, you can go to hell. And another man at another table heard it, and it grieved his heart. He was a man of God. And he walked over to that man who had received that. And he said, you don't have to go if you don't want to. And I want you to listen to me here today, because it's your decision. Being a member of Whitley Church is not going to help you. Loving Farrell Hardison and agreeing with me is not going to help you on Judgment Day. Whether you have accepted Christ, whether you have received Christ, that'll be the bottom line. Now, I want to make something clear to you. If you just go through the mouth motions of saying, Jesus, I believe you and I receive you as my personal Savior, but then your life doesn't change, then all that was was words. And that's a mistake that the church is making. We think if people say the magic words, Lord Jesus, I need you as my Savior, come into my heart, then you're saved. That is only true if that prayer is genuine and sincere and done with godly sorrow for your sin. I don't want you to go. The church doesn't want you to go. Your family doesn't want you to go. But above all, God doesn't want you to go. God has placed a huge roadblock on the road to hell. And that roadblock that has been placed there is the cross. 
and Jesus is on that cross. And if you go to hell, you will climb over the cross. If you go to hell, you will look Jesus in the eye and say, I do not want you. You will look at the Holy Spirit and say, do not speak to any, me anymore. And you will look at the Father and say, I don't care that you gave your son. I want what I want. Because if you are walking down a road of life and you are headed toward hell, you will pass by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and tell them no on your way. Christ is pleading. The Holy Spirit is pleading. The Heavenly Father is pleading. Your loved ones are pleading. The church is pleading. This preacher is pleading with you today. You say, I've got plenty of time. I'll hear you later on this matter. Well, listen to this. Listen to this little poem. Think about the day you die and listen to this little poem because you, are, you will die. We will all die. Loved ones will weep o'er my silent face. Dear ones will clasp me in sad embrace. Shadows and darkness will fill the place five minutes after I die. Faces that sorrow I will not see, and voices that murmur will not reach me. But where, oh where, will my spirit be five minutes after I die? Not to repair the good I lack, fixed to the goal of my chosen track. No space to repent, no turning back five minutes after I die, mated forever with my chosen throng, long is eternity, oh so long, then woe is me if my soul be wrong, five minutes after I die. Your sin will either be pardoned by Christ or punished in hell. But it will not be overlooked. Would you bow your head? If you're here today and you do not know him, then with a sincere heart, a heart of sorrow, a genuine heart of sorrow for sin, you say, but I'm a good person, but goodness won't help you. You say, but I've given my money to the poor, and I've given all my money to the church, and I'm very generous. I thank you for that. But that doesn't add to your salvation. It doesn't help you when you stand before God. Do you remember Pilate? You remember how Jesus stood before Pilate? And Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. See, he was saying good things about Jesus. But see, just saying good things about Jesus doesn't make you a Christian. Believing in the historical facts around Jesus doesn't make you a Christian. You see, Pilate's indecision was his worst decision because Pilate never received Christ. You see, what God the Father would do with Pilate was based on what Pilate was going to do with Jesus. And Pilate turned his back. And he turned Jesus over to the people. He did not embrace Jesus.
I'm asking you to embrace him today. I'm asking you to admit you're lost. Admit that you have sin in your life. And, and the only way that sin can be washed away is by the precious blood of Jesus that was shed at Calvary. And I'm asking you today to admit before him, I am lost, Jesus. I cannot save myself. I need you. I need you, Jesus. Would you just say to him right now, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I'm not going to run from you anymore. Jesus, I'm not going to make any more excuses. I'm not going to point out people that I believe are hypocrites in the church. That's your business. That isn't my business. Lord, I'm not responsible for what other people do. I'm only responsible for what I do. Jesus, this day before Easter, this Palm Sunday, I receive you as my Savior. Come in my heart, Jesus. And if you will say that to him, he will come in. He will save you today. Just ask him right now. Jesus, no more running. No more excuses, Jesus. I receive you into my heart and into my life as my Savior. Cleanse me, save me, forgive me. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Nobody's looking. If you prayed that prayer today, maybe you were unsure. Or maybe you knew that you were not right with God when you got here today, but you've made a decision and you've prayed that prayer and you've asked Jesus into your life. Will you just raise your hand up and put it right back down very quickly? God bless you. God bless you. All right, church, look at me. Let us rejoice of these who have raised their hand today.